Welcome back to the Emerge Podcast. On this episode of the show, I'm joined by Jill Nephew. Jill is the founder of Inquire, a company on a mission to help the world make sense. The Inquire technology that Jill designed and engineered is meant to enhance and accelerate human sense-making abilities. And the design of the system required Jill to attempt to answer a fundamental question. How does technology interact with the mind's ability to do individual and collective sense-making? And what are the principles the technology should follow to maximize these abilities? This deep inquiry and design and engineering puts Jill in, as far as I can tell, a totally unique position to make sense out of the current crop of large language model artificial intelligences. Jill compares interacting with these large language models to eating plastic in terms of its effect on our cognitive capacities. I found this to be a sobering conversation with somebody who I consider to be, and I think is in fact, an expert in the field. Now, you know, if you're you're on the internet, you see that there are many, many people who seem to have opinions about what is going on with artificial intelligence. And I notice that when I hear a lot of these people speak, um, I don't trust them. I don't. And I notice that when I hear Jill talk about this subject, uh, in my body, I feel a sense of truthfulness, sort of like, ah, finally, here's somebody who's actually telling me the truth and not trying to confuse me or to get me to invest in their company or use their app. So if you enjoy the Emerge podcast and would like to support it and, and support me in continuing to have conversations like this, please click the link in the show notes um, to make a contribution on the Patreon page that I've created. Any little bit helps give more of my life to service and to making wisdom more common and to developing projects and initiatives that are in alignment with the deep inquiry that I've been on with this podcast, as well as my training at the Monastic Academy. So yeah, please, if you feel so called, uh, make a contribution. And without further ado, here is Jill Nephew on the Emerge podcast. Welcome back to the Emerge podcast. Today on the show, I am joined by Jill Nephew. And Jill Nephew is, gosh, I don't really know how to sum her up. So I'll just say that I've been talking with her for for years now. She reached out to me um, as a listener of the show and started sharing her very, I would say, very unique and very important and very deep perspective on the topics and issues and questions and uh, dilemmas that we who kind of organize ourselves in the liminal web find ourselves in. And so it's been a really um, important part of my life to get to know her and get to know the heart of wisdom and, and perspective that she's gained over the years as she's looked at such topics as wisdom, how to find natural intelligence, the risks of using technology that isn't built for humans, um, and, and so much more. And so I'm really happy, Jill, to have you on the show today. Thank you, Daniel. I'm so excited we're finally doing this. We've been talking about it for so long, and um, I think this is the right time 
the perfect timing to start having these conversations publicly. So I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I feel the same way. And, and um, I'll kind of try to set some context for this conversation. And um, you know, part of what inspired us to get together today is that you recently had a conversation with Layman Pascal on the Integral Stage podcast. And in that podcast, you, 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 that conversation, you go into a really deep uh, questioning of the uh, way that the threat of artificial intelligence tends to get framed. And I, I want to like tell people who are listening to this, you know, you don't have to listen to that conversation with Layman to, to get benefit from this conversation. And I hope that this will be a kind of extension and like a different way into those same topics that you explored. And maybe we'll kind of offer some new angles and, and explore some pieces that you didn't get to explore in that conversation because it's such a rich topic. There's so many pieces that kind of link together that you really need to get to get the whole of what you're saying. And so I thought one way in that we could start with is that in that conversation, you talk about how using these large language models, and here we're talking about things like ChatGPT or BARD, um, that using these large language models is sort of like equivalent to, from a nutritional perspective, eating plastic, right? Mm -hmm. So, so there's right. some kind of effect of interacting with these technologies that mm -hmm. from a, I guess I would say, and, and correct me or extend this if I'm getting it wrong, but from a cognitive agency perspective is mm -hmm. sort of like eating plastic is for mm -hmm. our physiology and our biological health. So can, mm -hmm. can you kind of unfold that claim? Like why is it mm -hmm. so bad for our cognitive agency to interact with these things. Yeah, and I think this is uh, going to be the first round of, <laughs> it's kind of a $6 billion question. Maybe now we're at $6 trillion. Might be at $60 trillion question. Why? What is good? What is bad for cognition, for life, for our minds? Life cognition are, um, for those that don't haven't been following, the latest, greatest cognitive science extended are all merging to one, which is really exciting. So, um Maybe that's one thing I will say throughout this conversation. In my mind, uh, like others that are kind of been getting together at the forefront of science these days, it's getting harder and harder to make distinctions between physics, life, and cognition. So if anyone's confused, um, I'm using those kind of synonymously. Um, and I think another point of confusion that came up recently, um, we've been getting great feedback, by the way, from listeners of little points that get confused about listening to me, um, is uh, we need a term for thinking, I think, separate from cognition. I think the world mm. needs to kind of start to make these distinctions because it is becoming more true that what I call cognition, um, you know, is is embodied in every way. And it's not, there's no, um, nothing exotic there. It's just, that's how it is. It's all truly integrated in us. It's in our physical bodies. It's in our affective bodies. It's in our experience. It's in our imagination. It's all one. That's all, that's all what I call cognition. So I think some people listening will, will be maybe, the old way, you know, the old way, and it's, I don't know where these things are going to land, maybe would think I'm talking about thinking. Now, thinking would be, I would say, is, is what we need is a term for everything that is um, verbal, that occurs between the mm. ears <laughs> that we hear in our head, um, that um, can exist without separate from all those other things I mentioned. Mm. Like there are there are things that can exist in our heads separate from sensing feeling embodiment 
connection. Um, and so, and maybe, maybe it's okay that I'm kind of going to, I'm going to talk around the question a little bit more. So the latest, greatest, and I do, I do also take the stance. So who are the people coming together to say this? Carl Friston, people recognize these names, you know, um, Michael Levin with all those Xenobots. Mm-hmm. These are, if you get a group of these guys together, uh, there's, I forget which podcast it was. I listened to tons of them. Um, they all kind of concur with what I, what I believe too, which is five years from now, we are going to we are go, they're the minority view but it's going to be the majority view that people are going to totally get this mm-hmm. this is a new way to think about things that um and in michael levin's work which is groundbreaking and i'll be leveraging that a lot it's been really helpful uh for me to make these arguments um really pushes the point about how much of um life and cognition has to be embodied it has to be um if you think you can engineer it, and we can get into that later, that's delusional. And he he um, he will make that uh, axiomatic. I will make that axiomatic. That is, mm. people will argue otherwise, especially AI people. Um, and that is something that we can drill into, not here. So so um, mm-hmm. so this 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 thing that happens between the ears that doesn't involve all that uh, that occupies space needs a name, um, and. In previous discussions, I've called that like the trapped attention or right, rumin- right. it's kind of the seed of maybe, maybe it, maybe it maps onto parasitic processing. I don't know exactly what John Dravaki means by that term, but um, I would, there are very precise ways to speak on it. It is a, a verbal network of connectivity that can occupy our minds that stands alone as something that somehow doesn't get into our bodies. And so it lives off our energy somehow independently of us because it cannot satisfy that criteria of participating in our liveliness, our, our cognition, which is our liveliness. Right, right. right. So, cool. so what I hear you saying is that you're sort of making this really critical distinction between what I think most people think of cognition, which is like I'm a cognitive agent sort of having thoughts about the world and my thoughts are kind of telling me what to do which is actually kind of already a sort of breaking of this other um, uh, the thing that you call cognition, which is actually this deeply embodied um, yes. uh, kind of sensing and co-sensing of the world where you're in a context and that's informing your actions and your thinking and your behavior. Another way to, I think, that might sink this frame for listeners is, um, you know, Ian McGilchrist makes a distinction between the right brain, which is this kind of holistic um, capacity that we all have to um, express a kind of integrated intelligence in relationship to all things. And then the left brain, which is this sort of like abstract, sort of looping, caught, very like analytical type of what we may call intelligence, right? The kind of intelligence. And so really kind of yeah. land this distinction, right? And, and there's lots of ways we can talk about it. There's lots of ways we can talk about this distinction, but we're talking now about, and, and so I want to read, read, come back to the question, which is, yeah. why is Let it me, that... Uh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, why I do want to make it, a little correction, though, okay. at some point. <laughs> okay. okay. What's the correction? For, what's the correction? Okay, yeah. sorry. Um, in the middle, Chris makes this distinction. It, it's very easy to demonize the left hemisphere. The left hemisphere is the one that can carve out and make those distinctions. 
it's the one that can recognize an, an object from the, it can se- pull things out of the background. So right. there's a C of a right, right hemisphere. And then there's the part that the left hemisphere alone is what we're talking about. If it loses the exactly. connection, then you get this problem. It doesn't exactly. feel, it doesn't sense. If you isolate the right hemisphere alone, maybe that's something like your deepest psychedelic state where it's like, it's mm-hmm. all profound. You cannot make mm-hmm. distinctions. Everything becomes psychedelic. Everything becomes like just as meaningfully right. connected. And right. you've lost that ability to make distinction. So you, what you want right. is the coordination. Oh, that's a really good distinction. Right. So what we're looking here for cognition from your perspective is the integrated functioning of both right. of those systems in a coordinated right. expression of intelligence. That's right. And you can have dysfunctions on either side by right. them not being so, able to coordinate. Yeah. Excellent. And so why is it then that these technologies, large language models, are like eating plastic for that integrated functioning intelligence. Right. Good. Okay. So we are constantly communicating with each other in language. Okay. When we talk to each other, 95% of what we say are the, is the first thousand words. And those are mm. special, you know, each, each of those words starting from the first word, you know, I, a, the, we're so used to them, but they're profoundly powerful words. Mm. And what all those words do is they carve out this three-dimensional experiential space, including experience, right? We don't language out experience. It's not physics. It's our full experience. It's all that embodiment. We construe a simulation in each other's mind of what we are experiencing so that others might experience it. And this is how we coordinate. So a real simple example, it's so simple that, you know, we are little sensors out in the world as a, as a tribe, as a group, as a collective, I can go and animals do this too, right? I can, you know, if I see something that others didn't see, I get to be a repeater. I get to make a call. I get to say, there's a lion coming. There's a tiger coming. There's a really good story about this, about this fellow studying in the jungle, trying to understand monkey language. And he was in the jungle for a long time. And he figures out, finally figures out the monkey saying, there's a tiger company coming. But then he realized all the other animals were also responding to that message, not just him. And then he realized all the other animals were also saying there's a tiger company coming and we're interpreting each other's calls. And all of a sudden he realized, oh my God, these are a multilingual system of mm. like messaging going on in this ecosystem. And I'm the only one who doesn't understand all this. <laughs> and mm. then as he was uh, leaving at the end of his like stay in the jungle, he heard the calls behind him and he, he was able to parse like there is a a tiger stalking me like i i can hear the forest telling me that i can situate that i you know that's the natural intelligence we are born into that's our that's our billionaire history is being able to do that that we are not participating in right now Mm. so um so this is this sophisticated messaging that says i'm going to help you situate and understand everything about the world and we are going to coordinate together and it's not just between humans between everything like we just we are ingenious about this this is what life does so so that's a thousand words so now you take all the, all the patterns of that nine it's about i think it's only 85 percent of written but it's still 85 percent, right 95 percent yeah. is spoken so somehow when we're conversing maybe because we're more likely to be in a shared context we don't have to fill in that 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 we can point da 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 so all that pointing is done now symbolically when written, but it's only like 10%. So you suck all that situating of of language into a big model that's got all these parameters. So it's this gigantic model that can try to fit stupidly every possible pattern of that 
so that everything that comes out of it sounds like the calls of something living describing mm. what it sees in an embodied real world. Oof. It's it, it, We are listening to it like that. Now, we are not over there and over there and over there. We aren't, we, we don't know the whole universe. If someone says I'm in a Canyon a mile away and I've never been there. And they say, this is what I see. I trust you because I have not been everywhere. This is my superpower to trust you. When you talk like that, I trust you that you see that. And now you say, well, can chat GPT see everything it says it sees? Well, the way you can test that is take an expert on anything that has been where ChatGPT lives or any of these, I shouldn't single that out, sorry, any large language model. I do not mean Mm -hmm. to isolate ChatGPT. It's just the one that's been in the headlines. All of them Mm -hmm. are the same. Okay, so any large language model, uh, if you take an expert, and this is what, you know, I have a friend who's a mathematician in topology. He says, yeah, I interact with a large language model. And I say, here's my field. What do you have to say? And it's word salad. That is how I feel. Someone posted something I'd really tracked uh, Lisa Barrett's work, Lisa Feldman Barrett's work. And uh, someone had asked uh, one of the large language models, what else should she have said? It looks brilliant if you didn't carefully study her work. If you carefully study her work, it's absolute nonsense and word salad. So an expert can see it's word salad, meaning that you don't know what you're talking about. Like I, I see, I see this, I live here in this information space. I occupy this yeah. information space. This is nonsense. But when you don't occupy that information space, no one occupies all the information spaces. It sounds brilliant. So when I see, when I hear, I'm not, a, I am anemic in poetry. Every, every poetry, these large language poem, this, these large language models put out, I'm like, how did you do that? That's mm-hmm. ingenious. But if I talk to a poet, they'll be like, oh, oh. <laughs> right? right? So we're all getting fooled because we don't have the criteria to tell that it's not truly, you know, an expert in what it says, but it sounds like it everywhere outside our own expertise. Right. So we all are fooled outside our own expertise because we're, it just is incredible how much it, we can't, I, we, cause we, all we know is that 95% of like, you said that perfectly, you sound exactly like, you know, what you're talking about. It's got all the indicators. If I don't know that domain. So these claims are like, yeah, you should just verify how you can't, unless you're an expert. So right. now you've just consumed nonsense in everything but your own expertise. And if you're in your own expertise, you wouldn't consume it anyway because you recognize it as nonsense. That's Great. eating plastic. Yeah. And so if we zoom out a little bit, that's very helpful. And I really felt it more this time in my body. And I felt actually very sad um, as you described it. Um, and then if, I, if we zoom out, though, it's also the case that, as you said in the conversation with Lehman, like you said, I think there's already a bad effect going on. So this is not like a new phenomenon in the field of our collective natural intelligence, right? That there's already this sort of um, breakdown in this, I don't know, this territory or this communication signaling. Um, and so what, what, is the, what do the LLMs kind of represent in the larger picture? Are they like an intensification? Are they a, a kind of more severe breakdown? Yeah, how would you describe it? Right. So, um, okay. So yeah, we have the first order kind of problem that everyone's identified as like the meta crisis or whatever, lots of names to it, what we're living in right now, just a despairing that we know the common in a common sense way, we can sense we're not on a good path. Humanity's not on a good path. Like um, if people don't know it, they haven't seen enough of the world to see that plenty of humanity 
you know, there's pockets where you don't see it and there's plenty of pockets where you're like, would you like to be that person? And everyone in the right mind and be like, that does not look pleasant, what you're, or that animal. Um, okay. So that's one class of what do we, what have we done with this mindset? Um, and, uh, and so, and I've talked a lot about that. That is kind of the um, machine like, and this is very much Ian McGilchrist's message to the kind of machine like uh, way we've um, inhabited the planet, our faith in industrialization, replacing living things with machine things. And most importantly, which he speaks to the delusion when you're completely broken down and you're operating with your full articulated left hemisphere, when you've lost that ability to, um, to ground, I mean, that's what we haven't really talked on yet, that you'll have the illusion that you can create life. You won't see it. You'll be delusional about that. And that, that, Mm. that's the Emigal Chris message, a whole bunch that there's this delusion, almost this Frankenstein-ness. And we don't recognize, you know, that what's missing. We start to get fascinated with things that look lively that are made out of dead things. Um, And so a lot of that's like the AI art. It's like, it's compelling. Um, And so um, the first class was kind of like that going on. And now what I'm saying, the next class, so to a lesser or greater degree, um, when we take in the messaging back to that plastic thing, when we take in messaging and we don't, and that's disembodied, like consume the internet, consume corporate messages, consume ads, consume, you know, platitudes, whatever, just they're floating in outer space. When we consume that stuff, um, we can situate it, you know, to a lesser or greater degree, we want to situate it into like, we trace its source, reground it. This is what science does all the time. It says, well, we've tried to leave a trace down to the actual notebooks, which are really valued, right? Here's the raw data. Here's what, here's to reproduce what a embodied person sat down. You put this here, you do this, you measure that. And this is, you write down what you see so someone else can reproduce it. The recipe of what a body can do to retrace your steps. So there's science operates and is successful because it doesn't break that chain. It regrounds mm-hmm. into real natural intelligences doing something in the real world so that when, you know, so that you can evolve that because you can never, context is always changing. The world's always changing. These are just interpretations. We can involve our understanding. Right. So, so there's kind of the, the fracturing of that. So the first violation you know, first degree violation is breaking that chain. So you can't recontextualize. So you can't reconstrue. So you can't, because, you know, truth is a doing as a verb. There's a, there's mm. just thir- throwing out the, the, le- the, the outdated interpretation of reality. Like all we're ever doing through the insight process is regrounding our experience into those conceptualizations that map onto what's happening now. And yes. life is always changing. We're always changing and we're in a continual process of living into that cognitive act of, you know, creating and imagining into life, reality, grounding into reality. Breaking that ability to do that is when you have languaging or assets or visuals or something that you cannot make that chain. You can't uh, get back to Mm -hmm. reality. You can't recheck what is this based on to see if that's still life or if that is dead now is that right. alive or dead information right. so that severing of context is the first degree of how people can't ground information so that it just lives and and persists in their trapped attention and that is you know what we speak of is like the root generator of of the madness that 
you know, the insanity that drives bad decision-making and short-sightedness with people don't mm-hmm. just, they cannot connect with reality. It's a, yes. it's every possible negative mental um, affliction state spoken to in wisdom traditions to current mental health. Yeah. Right. And so there's been this kind of through, and we could maybe draw this line back into history, who knows when it began, that intelligence started becoming ungrounded or we started getting ungrounded in this way. And then now we're here in this moment with these new technologies and they're, as you say, kind of like us eating plastic for that process. What, um, yeah. Yeah, I have a little correction there. So what, so every utterance we have, we make, if you don't ground it, it's plastic, but Mm. right. So like it's toxic, toxic. It's always been toxic for us to take in, unsituated utterances from other people and not be able to ground them. We do this under, because it's fast. Like it's, it's gotta be tied to trust. Like if I, you know, if I say, get out of the road, a car's coming and my kid has to trust me. Don't wait till you, I confirm there's a car coming. Trust me, just do it. If afterwards the kid's like no car came, I don't trust you. I can't ground that. Like you've got a problem, right? So, so eventually things add up they they add up we we kind of like it's like a debt you Mm -hmm. know like a a little Mm -hmm. debt that i will trust you and then later on your reputation on our relationship on our whole future together which matters which is also severed in the modern world your reputation's tied to me later being able to say that added up so if Mm. you're bullshitting me or you're a con artist or something a fly by night right you get these like in and out situations right right um that's how you exploit people is that you get get that trust and disappear before the person can verify and ground that those assertions so so that's so that's always been with us and we've always needed ways socially to deal with that 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 authoritarian authoritarianism is kind of a system where um there isn't the support to ground and challenge you know Mm. The utterances. So good authoritarianism is the the person on the helm of the boat at this moment that can see the storm coming, tells everybody row, and they don't care. They trust and they do. Like, mm. you know, there are there will be sensors in the human organism that mm. will be the first to see the the job is to be the first to see. The job is to have the eyes on the horizon. And then there's the engine room people that trust the eyes on the horizon. Not everyone in the engine room wants to be the eyes on the horizon, and the eyes mm. on the horizon doesn't want to be in the engine room. Like this is we do this. So, so, and that all happens by that, that reputation, that trustworthiness and everything. So it's not, so it's, it's like you can, you know, um, if something doesn't add up, that kind of bothers us. That's like something doesn't add up. That's the bother that says, I need to go verify for myself. So you are not trustworthy. Something doesn't add up. I'm going to go on the horizon because this doesn't make sense. I I mean, I don't, you've lost your authority right now. I need to, we, we need to work this out. Um, so, so this is how it works. Okay. So now we have this next degree (laughs) poison or maybe I can pause there and then we can get back to, we haven't quite said what's so bad about the, the AIs yet. We haven't, you know, but maybe people are already starting to connect the dots on this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that correction. That's really helpful. And I kind of see the, um, the wisdom in ungrounded utterances in appropriate context now. That's very helpful. I didn't really get that before. Um, And so maybe, yeah, can we kind of land then maybe 
uh, th that, that sense of like, why are they so bad? And what would we expect to see happen as these technologies kind of introduce more plastic into our um, nutrient base? So yeah, really important distinction as we talked about when people language like this, they sound trustworthy. And so we extend a tremendous amount of trust to things that sound like this because we've never encountered anything that could do this before that, that can simulate something so trustworthy. Um, so this is some of the, you know, the, when I talked about the magic trick, it's not just right. cute. This is like a big deal um, that anybody that sounds like chat, that, that sounds like a large language model would normally not be able to sound like that unless they were really trustworthy because they have invested their whole life in something. That means their social network, their livelihood, everybody that knows them, you know, th th if they sound like that, they're, they are trustworthy. Right. Right. So that's one degree problem. And then the next, and the next degree is that, you know, so we're, we're, we're pro deeply prone to trust them. And then the, the plastic part is that the way these things are constructed is through statistical models. And the, the simplest way to make something hundred percent ungroundable is to represent it in statistics. And I know we're not gonna be able to pack. That'll be one of those things we're worth unpacking. Yeah. It's huge. It's the wrong architecture. And lots of people know it. You cannot right. chop the, you cannot, a statistic, statistics is not, there's no way to capture anything true through statistics. There's no way to reconstruct truth through statistics. There's no way to ground statistics. So, and not only that, they have random number generators in them. And that's what I mentioned with Lehman Pascal. We find that extra compelling because that's the, because there is nothing random in the natural world, there's surprises. And when we are surprised in the natural world, which is what randomness simulates, we also have huge instincts that at every surprise we should investigate because we'll learn something. Yeah. It's a good investment. Our curiosity is our most valuable. It's our, it's how we move forward through life. It's our, it's our, it's our, it's not, it's more than our um, compass. It's our magnet and our compass. It's like, it mm -hmm. steers us and pulls us where we need to go cognitively. Hmm. Randomness is capturing that and scrambling that mechanism. So we are pulled towards investigating. We're fascinated by these hmm. random juxtapositions because in the natural world, surprise means newness, life, learning, you know, it's the right instinct in a uh, randomly juxtaposed and, and humans cannot randomly juxtapose, which is another statement I'll throw out there. We do not rent artists might, if they've used really BS tools, but they've never had tools like this before. But even an artist, like if you sat down and just tried to create a random sequence of numbers, this is well known, like it's really hard. We don't generate randomness. We generate meaningfulness because we're living mm -hmm. things. So every artistic distinction, there's probably a, a point, a real artist, even though it might seem arbitrary to you, they can they can ground even all those choices and, and likely it has meaning for them. Otherwise they would not find the art creative act meaningful. So, um, so you, you have, um, so the problem is that you've got these two massive instincts, the trustworthiness network. There's many more, um, that this sounds trustworthy and it's steering your curiosity. You're capturing your attention, triggering fascination with mm. a nonsensical world. It has construed for you that cannot be grounded because we know when you go say, okay, now I really, if I really did want to try to ground this, I have to become expert in what you just told me. 
And if you talk to every expert, they say this doesn't ground its word salad, it can't, mm. which is what you'd expect because it's statistical. The statistics cannot represent the truth. It's going to, it's necessarily going to scramble the very careful construal. It's going to scramble it. And so BS. So just to give you a small example, like um, in its normative, I have a very non-normative message claiming every person on this planet is equally naturally intelligent or you wouldn't be alive because it's incredibly hard to be alive and you're part of a billion-year lineage of that. And that is a, a incredibly powerful lineage and every living person has a huge claim on absolute ingenious capabilities. So everybody is equally naturally intelligent. I tried to put something like that into a large language model. And I got back that if you really care about a problem, you should ask a really intelligent person. Because that's mm. the normative view. I got erased. It was not easy to capture. I made it easy to hear that it made this fundamental distinction. But that took a while for me to say, what? That's not quite right. You're, that's right. not what I said. And, then yes. I, and you have to like sit with it. And you have to be like, no, not not find every you just made it sound like back the opposite of what i said yes. and that's yeah. what you start to pick up on it's like i don't want it summarizing me these large language models summarizing me are going to misrepresent me in the most gro gross way so this is why twitter i do not want to be summarized by these things yeah. and in a kind of grotesque way you referred to them in the conversation with layman as as almost like statistical monstrosities Right. So there's these, and, and, and I think it's helpful to actually have a sense of the image of them, right? That there are these statistical monstrosities that are sort of like signaling trustworthiness to us, and that they also kind of seem alive because of their randomness, because they, they're, not, they're not regular in their displays. Right. And, and so you kind of the get combination, the, right? Yeah. They're taking our, symbol, our yeah. symbols mixed with randomness and fascination which pulls in our attention mixed with the languaging and situating that into something that sounds like it's real but it's pointing out a nonsensical world that we're not part of, part of and then they're feeding this then they're feeding this back into an already broken kind of information ecology and yep. a broken sense making ecology and so the yeah. the capacity to even see the danger and see the kind of plasticity of the information that's being generated is also lost on us. And so we're kind of yeah. like in a very vulnerable position to this specific kind of poison. Beyond vulnerable, we're owned by it. We're not mm. vulnerable. We're Say more. You mean owned by it? Um, there's no way out. It's a, it's, it's, you can't, once your attention's in trapped by this, there's no, there's no exits. There's still only the illusion of exits. You're in a land of oases, of cognitive oases. Like that you, like it'll look like there's an exit. It'll look hmm. like you can ground it because it's simulating groundable, hmm. but you can't do it. And it'll keep generating. It's generative. It'll keep it's generating kind of oases. Years. Yeah. Almost, yeah. Like, you know how an oasis effect works. Like when you're driving across the desert, and it looks like you're only a mile away from water because of the reflection. Like that's, that's what I'm talking about. Like when you're, when you're driving on a big flat, hot surface, this, this uh, refractive effect happens. It looks like there's lakes on the horizon and it looks like you're really close to the lake. That's what I meant is like, it looks like you're really close to making sense of it because it has all, it's signaling to us all of that. It's this vastness. I'm in this, like, I'll get there. I'll be able to make sense of it. Like if you look at AI generate art, you, the illusion is that everything in that art is meaningful. So that if I actually really tunneled in and I said, well, why is that lamp on the post? Or why is, 
why they why is the cloud that way? If you tunnel into anything that you would um it would be a real. And um and that's the illusion you get through all of this. And you can only break the spell. Like there's a really um a nice nice version of this kind of this might help also ground it. Um Someone had, someone had, I, I grew up, um, I studied meteorology, atmospheric science, climate science. That's kind of the hierarchy. Maybe people have heard me talk on it. It was a climate science program focusing on atmospheric science and I've taught meteorology. So that's my stack. So I spent, and I've been paragliding for 25 years. So I have a lot of attention on clouds. Um, so someone took some pictures in the area I grew up in, in Northern California and used just a AI filter on Photoshop on the image. And I looked at that and I said, well, that's not. I think I might be the only person to be like, that's absolutely not a representation of my home lands. Like mm. that could never happen. Like I just know it in my bones. You can't have the light patterns like that. You can't have the cloud shapes like that. The light and dark's not right. The depth of the field of the clouds aren't right. The horizon lines off. Everything's off. This is Kansas. This is a Kansas mashup with Northern California mixed with England. Like that's mm. the only way. And those are three different climate systems that can't mix. So this is, this can't exist on earth. I could see all that in an image, and I'm probably maybe one of the few people that could see that this is not Earth. Um, so, so, so the illusion's there. There's no way out. You're getting you're getting a misrepresentation, but you can't tell, and you're fascinated by it, right? And, and there's, no, there's no, ground, way out, no way out. You mean there's no way out within the surface that you're in, within the tool that you're in. When your attention's on it, in, in the way it, what it's representing, there's no way to ground it into reality. Right, right, right. So you could you could get out of it by like closing your computer and looking at a tree, right? If you spend enough of your lifetime not looking at it, I mean that's the sure. that's there's a real time investment to making sense of reality. You have to participate in reality. So if you participate in these systems, you will you know you only get so much time on the planet, you know. Like, there's no reason to believe that you would have any basis to reground if you've not participated in reality. You, I'm the only one that can ground that image and see it's false. And, you know, like, do you know what I mean? I am one of the few, very few, maybe only people that spent so much time studying clouds, grew up in that particular small location. It's a very tiny, like, two square mile area of Northern California. It's very uninhabited. And I studied a lot of clouds and meteorology. And I can understand that that's not representative. There's a sure. huge time investment yeah. that I might be the only per might be the only person literally, maybe there's like five that would like see that because it mm. just, I, that's the way I spent my life. Other people would notice in the grass isn't right or the cow's not right. You know, I notice the clouds aren't right. So, you know, because that's how, where I spent my life. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So, right. So maybe briefly then, just kind of uh, extend it into the future. Like, what would we expect to see happen in our culture, in our society, in our kind of ecology of sense making as these plastics and technologies sort of, you know, unfold? Um, so, the more time we spend of our our time on the planet, time, attention, curiosity, care, the more time we spend interacting with these systems. It's, it, I don't even have to, um, you don't have to worry about what's even happening to you. You're not spending time in real life. You're not participating in your lineage, your billionaire lineage of participating here in the planet and universe in life. You're participating and in interacting with this thing, which is not life. Um, so 
you know, quite simply, um, it, it like you would um, make it uh, quite obviously vulnerable that someone else would take over. Um, people that aren't participating would take over or, you know, um, or machines would take over our place here on the mm. planet because mm. we're not here. Mm-hmm. We're, our minds aren't engaging real life. Like you're just not doing it. We're gone. And so like, I, I've kind of said this on Twitter half joking, but maybe dead serious that, um, you know, if you really wanted to take over earth, the smartest way to do it would be to lean in to all these technologies because they're hypnotic and they're, you know, not to mention the fact that you can construe them with the most, intoxicatingly beautiful, you know, which are also drawn to beauty. We've talked only two dimensions, right? Curiosity. And, uh, but there's all these other ways to pull them in and you get all humanity sucked into this, right. And set up a great um, financial model, which we're all very aware of that lots of people are getting very rich. The wealth disparity is huge. So everyone's automatically going to get rich off it. But the most um, convenient thing is that if people are participating here instead of real life, they've given up the most important thing, which is reproduction. Um, and they will be gently euthanized into, you know, like humanely live out their days in this, um, enjoyable, artificially construed experience, uh, or at least addictive, um, and, um, and not be participating in the management of the planet. So it's kind of like the matrix where you let everybody die. Yeah. And it may be that nobody's doing this intentionally, but this may be very well the future that we're headed into. Yeah. Um, and so- Let's, let's hold that, which that image for me brings fear and sadness and a kind of like sense of put a possible loss, right? As I look out on the trees in front of me and how beautiful they are. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I, I take this possibility very seriously as I endeavor to make sense of AI. You know, I, I, I'm, it's, it's, it's a difficult subject. You are an expert on the matter, which is why I, I tend to trust you and look to you for advice. Yeah. Um, and as I've shared your video, your conversation with Layman with others, um, one of the most common responses I've gotten is that people say something like, well, they agree with you, basically, they don't agree with the extremity of your position, like that perhaps some modes of interacting with this technology might be more or less plasticky, might be more or less good. So I think they're kind of saying it depends on how you interact with these golems, these LLMs, like you know, um, and I gave you the example actually in our conversation that I recorded a sweet voice note for my mom for Mother's Day, and then I had it transcribed, uh, and then I had ChatGPT kind of make a poem out of that right. sweet voice note. Uh, I didn't end up sing- sending it to my mother because it was uh, not very good. <laughs> it was just not. Very, <laughs> it, was like, it was like you said, it's got like word salad, but like that was kind of playful. I didn't feel like I was eating plastic um, as I paid attention to my participation. Right. But on the other hand, if I were to say, like, try to get my news or try to make sense of important yeah. current events or my place in the world or what is good, like that would just be like mainlining clearly plastic, because those are things that I'm actually relatively uh, I care about a lot. And so I know about these things. And so when I start to interact with it on that level, I'm like, oh, this is really dumb and bad right. for me to be looking at this. And so what do you think of that? Like the, the kind of like nuance there in terms of how you interact with this technology? Yeah, there's a lot of dimensions there. So um, first off, the way they're trained, let's not lose this. No matter how you're using it, a large language model, all of them that are pulling this off right now, what you're getting is the ability to 
simulate that that grounding you know simulate that um uh simulate a grounded person in the world right you're you're still no matter what you're getting the you're getting a model that is very good at tricking people right into all that like there's no way around that no matter whatever you're doing on top of it you're getting that so uh, so maybe i don't feel like i want to get to the heart of this um let me just take a minute So let's say you take the most trustworthy person you can imagine and you try to represent them, pour all your training data into a large language model of somebody you think is very, very trustworthy in every way. Um, Once you've done that, interacting with that simulated thing, you, you cannot erase the fact that it's going to become untrustworthy. it immediately becomes untrustworthy once it is in that system because it that those systems do not know what they don't know that's what statistics is about statistics ter- makes everything known makes everything the, the systems have to give you an answer they don't know what they don't know that's what statistics does too it has to give you an answer it's a it's a compu- it's computing it's optimizing it's not what life does life does not do that so these are so fundamentally these are closed systems. They're not connected to life. There's really another direction we have to go in. But they ha- they have to give you an answer and when and so they they fill in with statistics. We don't fill in with statistics. When we don't know something, we are curious or we yeah. are confused or we say we don't know. <laughs> we know we don't know unless we're trying to bullshit somebody. And right. And then we, when we say we know something, we can carefully back that, you know, ground that and, and, and talk about on what basis and ground that in our direct experience or other things that happen on the planet that other people experience. It's always groundable into an experience. When you put a trustworthy person into these systems, they are going to represent bullshit because they're going to always answer. And so if you put a most trustworthy person and, and you can ask, you can't stop by saying, okay, most wise person in the world, what's the weather going to be like next week in Miami? And it will just tell you as the wisest person in the world in some way they talk. Bullshit, (laughs) right? Right. Unless it happened to be, it doesn't, it's not integrated with a weather model right now. It's the data stops in the current one, September, 2021. You do not, they do not know what the weather is going to be like next week in Miami, but they'll give you an answer. Right. So, and so in I, your rep- in your embodiment, right, representing mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll I think we'll, we'll, we'll keep opening this direction up as we get to the the second movement of this conversation. But I want to actually like again linger here. You know. So I'm not in the example I gave. I'm not talking about simulating a trustworthy person. Another example of a way that I use LLMs is that I make timestamps for my podcast, where like we talk about this at this time, and somebody makes that for me. And then I record an intro. So I want to add like three minutes onto each of the timestamps. So I put them into the LLM and say, can you add three minutes to these timestamps? And it does that. Like that seems to me to be okay right now, Mm -hmm. but it's abused me of that sense of okayness. 
And I want to know, like, you know. So, yeah. yeah, there's a so there's a whole series. Um, right. So, okay. One way to think about this is that um, there are many tasks we do that are not high stakes, that are not, that there is what's called a human in the loop is what it's called. There's a human in the loop. And this is a great use for all this technology. Like the Excellent. really great use case for all this technology, for everything having to do with artificial neural nets has always been the great use case is to say um, something like, all I have is a bag of words. All I have is a pile of data. Show me patterns in it. I will be the human. I will be the scientist. I will be the interpreter. I will decide and I will try to ground if I think that's bullshit. Um, so there's a really, you don't do that. I do that. So we do this all the time with our autocomplete and our, you know, our, um, uh, um, what's another common example where we just, these things are very, oh, like text to speech, you know, where yes. like, you know, Great. just, and, and so basically the idea is that first it's a simple task. You can easily, easily tell if it made a mistake and it's not high mm -hmm. stakes. Mm -hmm. So, so in as much as these tools like start to automate the simple small tasks where there's a human in a loop and, you know, you can speak to that and they aren't high stakes, um, then they can be seen as a part of a larger suite of automation tools that are already in play. Mm -hmm. But when you're doing that, you're, you're really not leveraging all these other magic we're talking about, right? What you, right. what you're leveraging yes. is a right. language interface. That's probably a, an add on even that can interpret your command to a software system. And this is why I also said everywhere these things are truly success, successful. It's really going to be software doing the work, you know, something mm -hmm. that has like, you know, real ability to um, do an operation. Okay. And this is a language interface to it, to a simple task. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Um, and there are also, I think in what you said that is, and I'm curious about this is if I myself am, am very grounded in my cognition and my natural intelligence, I can, I can more safely interact with these systems. No, if I, if I no. Mm -mm. So if I, if, if, if okay, Interesting. <laughs> that's surprising to me, that's surprising to me. Yeah. It doesn't matter how grounded you are in your in your cognition. But like you could check, you could check the, the, the sentence it produced and be like, no, that was actually bullshit. Um, that checking, if something's bullshit is grounding it exactly. into your direct right. experience. Yeah. And the utility of that is zero because you're, it's only in your direct experience because it's obfuscated all it, it's not trustworthy outside of your direct experience immediately. If you even say right outside my window what's happening that I can't see, it's already not trustworthy. It's only trustworthy where you have direct experience and where you already have that, you don't need it. Okay. Let's let's put a pin in this. I think this is something that maybe we can explore in a future yeah. conversation. I think there's okay. more there perhaps that I'm just confused about, but that I, I think is important to explore. Um, but let's put okay. that to the side right. for now and move on to our second um, big topic, which is that in the conversation with Lehman, you talked about how these LLMs, these generative large language models, what Tristan Harris calls golems, might afford or will afford a new kind of super cult, the possibility of super cults to emerge. That's, I think, the term you used. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, let's literally like unpack this and look at the different elements of this possible future. Um, mm -hmm. And in order to do that, maybe we could open by saying, like, what is it that you mean by cults, what are cults and yeah. how do they function in relationship to our cognition and our natural intelligence? 
So for really the culty cults, the ones we were really terrified about, um, you have two main components. You have this, the conditions are set up such that somebody can't ground the utterances of the person in charge. Um, there is, either isn't time for it, um, you know, because it takes time, right? This cognitive work of grounding is an imaginative act that Inquire does a lot of work to present um, ways to do that. That's kind of our wheelhouse. And it, it's, an, it's an effort. It's work to verify mm-hmm. and to examine and to, you know, check things out. So one condition of kind of capturing someone's attention um, so, so that you kind of own them cognitively is to set up conditions where they can't do that. So that's kind of, you know, est, you know, you close the doors, you don't get a minute to yourself. You can't get, because this requires being alone with your thoughts, right? You have to construe a very carefully put together examination of what was just uttered against your life to see if it's trustworthy. That's an act and a doing. And if there's no space or time to do that, you can't do that when you're conversing very easily. You can't do it in a social context. There's no time. There's a lot of, a lot of pressure in social context. It's very hard to sense make like that unless you set the social context just right for it. Mm-hmm. So there's also certain social interactions that are um, very intimate and emotional and, and where there's a lot of um, dynamic feedbacks will under, you know, absolutely can't do it when that's going on. So and, and those are very compelling, right? So it's very easy to set up kind of conditions where people can't do that work. That's the first degree of kind of like, you know, that can happen anywhere. You know, that can just happen partying to like, that can happen in any group. You could just be like, ah, oh, mm-hmm. I got completely lost in this thing. Mm-hmm. And then we have the really scary dimension, which um, are like, we all, you know, J- Jim Jones or whatever. Like we have the scary, the scary cult version. Um, for the scary cult version, you have to um, bring in, um, generally like that the pattern is is bringing in the idea of um of uh the principle that first um there is a a context you're defined in and you as an identity um how do i say this um that that you you as a living thing can be engineered against that that presented context that you are going to engineer yourself you are going to take control of the evolution or what we're going to call it the state the um the development the um you know uh, perfection, you are going to be the engineer of yourself mm-hmm. under the guidance of mm-hmm. um, this framework or this um, metric or this, you know, group has an agreement of what that is. Everyone agrees that a human can be engineered against something that humans can engineer humans. Mm-hmm. When humans think they can engineer humans and take on that task, that's the, um, that's the, um, that's that's based on uh, like that's that's the that's kind of the next degree and then the the scary scary is um is if if you um believe that um another person or system or metric human made you know some diagnostic when you claim objective diagnostic there's something that can know you better than you can know you 
Mm. Um, or can know the universe better than you could know the universe or could know God mm. better than you could know the God that can know life better than you could know life. Mm. Like it's giving over that um, belief that that is a fundamental truth that all knowing and truth and knowledge is tied to a first person perspective, direct experience of a, a billionaire lineage of participating in life. Like, you know, life by living life. Right. And so I think there's a way in which I'm hearing this and, and, and kind of correct me in the ways that I'm, um, getting it wrong, but that's like, okay, so we tend to think of cults as being these like small communities, but actually this is a phenomenon that happens across all kinds of aspects of our culture and society. And that like, if I, instead of trusting and making sense out of my reality, turn towards a morning news show, right? There's a way in which that's kind of, um, first degree. Yeah. And then there's the possibility of being in a community where I look towards a single leader to kind of falsely ground my cognition and my and that can be a leader concept it doesn't have to be a person it can be a a metric yeah, yeah. great to so be a metric uh, and then and then perhaps we're going to witness the emergence of everybody having a kind of cult as an ai that's sort of telling them how to live telling them what to do telling them how to be and that's the possibility of a super cult um that, okay. I, I have not considered that case that that could happen too i suppose um that they so so maybe there's two versions of this. There's one version where you trust that this thing knows the world better than people. That's huge, right? So you trust it like that. Then yeah, you would do everything it said if you thought it was a super intelligence. So that's that's the one everybody's vulnerable to, is that um <clears throat> if you believe these things are super intelligence and that's what they're being, you know, people are saying they are, then you trust them over humans, then you're going to do everything they say and it's gonna be madness because they're <laughs> And every place you check, they're never as smart as any single human ever. And they can't be because they can't ground and they can't have insights and they can't um, construe reality. And they can't do what we consider true geniusness, which is to a constant insight process that reconstrues our current understanding, you know, our history of understanding into what's really happening now. They can't do any of that. So that's that's one degree of, of kind of a, a super madness. Right. But the super cult I'm talking about, I witnessed on Twitter yesterday, <laughs> it was an interesting day on Twitter yesterday or day before, um, somebody had shared what I thought was coming, which was the first AI psychiatry tool hmm. where they poured their life into a um, large language model and the person was blown away by how much it knew them, knew them better than they knew themselves. That whole thing of like um, being able to tell people who they are, one of the most dangerous things we do to each other, right? We can mm. we completely destroy each other by telling each other who we are, taking that, claiming that ring of, I'm going to tell you who you are. I see. Yes. Um, if people believe these are super intelligences that are going to tell them who they are, then any interface to that story. So like if you were to say, I believe that a guru of this lineage or this person knows me better than I can know myself and they're represented here and they'll demonstrate they'll, they will seem to demonstrate that it will be like the, it could be disastrous in every way of like, I will do whatever you say. You clearly know me better than I know myself. Um, these are not, if you study what psychics do, these aren't hard moves to pull off and everyone falls for them, you know, right. like, yeah. 
Right, and 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 it even gets spookier, scarier, more yeah. When you think about the kind of sensor networks that people are coming that are coming, like even like the um, uh, visual, like tracking your facial cues to tell you what your emotions are. Oh or yeah, reading your um, biometrics. So that goes into the um, what the AI offers you in terms of sense making. Right, it could get incredibly persuasive and incredibly fine tuned to your your biology and your doesn't yeah it doesn't even have to be fine-tuned this stuff works bluntly because it works with right now bluntly with <laughs> psychics and um and gurus and types that will you know kind of give that deep look and say I, I see into your soul and i can and i bet you let me guess you know like um you know you feel alone in the world and like you know is deep betrayal happened in your past and you're trying you know like everybody right, right. but it right. feels right. like it's just you that's experiencing this like that that it doesn't even need that much data to pull that off. What's frightening is that, well, there's lots of things frightening, but people <laughs> are so amazed by this capacity now to use this as like the mirroring kind of technology, which is, by the way, again, completely nonsense, based on nonsense, based on normative nonsense of the worst kind. Like, I mean, who hasn't like opened up a, a psych a diagnostic manual and just said, am right. I this? Am I this? Am I this? Am I this? Oh my God, I do that. I do that. I do that. You know, like it, we're, right. we're sitting ducks. Right. And then the very next impulse is like, well, you got this much, right? Here, take my whole history. Take all my journals. Take everything. Tell me who I am. If I knew who I am, I'll find my place. I don't have my place. I need somebody to tell me who I am so I can find my place. And we don't have it. Oh. heartbreaking it's really sad <laughs> sorry <sighs> it's our deepest vulnerability we're trying to find our way home and our deepest longing yeah because we had it taken from us with industrialization and colonization with all the lies that we don't own this place. We aren't born from this place that we don't already have a place right now, right here. This is our place. Yeah. We are indigenous, all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here I can see why you're so angry because it's like, or why, why it sometimes seems like you're so angry. It's, it's that yeah. it, it's in the midst of our deepest longing to know ourselves and to know ourselves as this reality that yeah. we get hijacked. Yeah. That, that earnest longing, it takes us. Yeah. And I call that soul rape. Yeah. Yeah. And that's soul rape. Yeah. There's, there's very much another way. This is not the way. And there is another way. We're going to do it. It's going to be here. People should not settle for this. Yes. Yeah, and I think I think a big part of that, knowing that there's another way, it's really clarifying uh, what is possible. Yeah. Right? Because I think, again, as, as we sort of talked about earlier, people are vulnerable because they don't know, for instance, what it means for their cognition to be grounded in reality. Right? Yeah, what's, that experience, what's that experience even like? Like what's possible? The, 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 the meaningfulness, the, the depth, the richness – that is possible. We long for it, right? In our exactly. wildest fantasies, that joy and that openness and that freedom is expressed in every moment. Yes. When if we were 
got back what was taken from us, right? We'd be feeling that in yeah. everything. And we, yeah. so we have this deep remembering of it, this deepest longing for it. And that's why yeah. I say the meaning crisis is not, there's nothing to solve there. These things aren't, there's nothing, to, there's nothing to solve in terms of, it, it's right here, right? It's like in every act we take of living it back into life is addressing it. Yeah. It's just recognizing that like, right. You enliven life, you enliven it. it when it's your relations, everything in your real world right now, no matter how mundane you enliven it, you yeah. bring it back. Yeah. And so I think what's helpful here, and, and this has been helpful with people that I explored this topic with is like, so you have this really core concept or distinction between grounded and ungrounded cognition. And so my understanding, and correct me again if I'm wrong, but that is that cults, whether they be, you know, um, news channels or uh, enlightened leaders or uh, teachers in our public educational institutions uh, or politicians um, kind of participate in the construction of these sort of like parasitic loops in our thinking process, what we might call ruminative loops that don't actually ever resolve themselves because they're not connected to reality. And so our mind, and this is what people find when they come to a place like the Monastic Academy, is just running and doing all kinds of bullshit that doesn't go anywhere, that doesn't achieve anything, that doesn't make sense. That's just like, and this is what meditators often call the monkey mind, which I think mm -hmm. is a, a pejorative concept that doesn't really understand the, the whole context of what's going on. But nonetheless, that's something that our minds can do and it causes enormous suffering. Perhaps it is the root of suffering, yeah. right? Is that tendency and that capacity for the mind to kind of be hijacked like that. And so um, there is this possibility of being ungrounded and lots of people can examine this for themselves by just sitting in stillness for a moment and seeing what happens. Right. Uh, and then, and then, um, and then there is also a possibility of being grounded, right? Of, right? of working through all that, of like releasing these confusions, of really inquiring with earnest integrity about what is going on. Yeah. And, and for your, in your own way, kind of like uh, uh, reconnecting or reintegrating your experience with the world. Um, and yes. And and so maybe you can kind of extend that or nuance that or build that in a way that people can really see that distinction. Right. So you we have all accumulated the, this stuff from all over the place. And like I said, the cult's not special. Um, and people are maybe not also very well equipped to tell the difference between a place that's trying to do this careful work versus a place that isn't. That's another thing we can do in a different episode maybe someday. Um, so... Uh, so you've accumulated all this stuff and I agree that you don't want to label it as monk. I think monkey mind is a problem. And I think that is like the problem and the failure of bringing Western spirituality to the U S since the, you know, for the last hundred years complete fail. Um, and this is why it failed. Um, like it didn't do, it didn't fix it. Right. It didn't do anything. The psychedelics didn't do anything. The meditation, nothing. It's, it's didn't spread. It didn't do anything. It didn't, all these guys that are running these companies probably meditate and do psilocybin and everything else and it didn't matter. Uh, and that's because you're taking the most, and this is kind of, uh, well, yeah, I'll just anchor this in modern cognitive science. The echoes of those things rolling around that par parasitic processes, I think that's also the wrong languaging. These yeah. are currently 
candidates to be grounded that we have a backlog of. Like Ooh. we have not done our own work. It's our work. We've consumed them, right? Um, and it's our work to try to metabolize them. And then we'll learn through direct experience what plastic is like. We're not doing the work to, to you know, to process them. And it's our, And this is our way back. This is yeah. how we find our way home because these are not meaningless. They're ungrounded. They become meaningful when you ground them. So you catch one of those tigers by the tail that's tormenting you. And you get fascinated by it, like, where did you come from? And why do you have a hold on me? And yes. you don't try to heal a trauma. That is obfuscation. That's another diagnostic. There's nothing to heal. And there's no trauma. There's tigers running around tormenting you. And you do that beautiful, intense work of saying, I am the living thing, not you. I'm bigger than you. I will always be more powerful than you. You are a part of me. I'm going to, you're going to become an ally because you are going to show me what happened in my history you're you're the you are the evidence you are the history of how of everything that got taken from me and how it happened and you are i've got you by the tail and we're going to work together on this mm-hmm. and i'm going to understand because i can do that i know where i heard that utterance and from who and who they heard it from and what system they're part of and how yeah. that worked and why did i take that so seriously and who decided that was a good idea to tell me that I can figure all that out. And when I do that work, I don't heal. I am recruited into the lively army of true lineage holders of this planet ready to take it back. Hell yeah. 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 Great. And, and so, and this, this is, I think, a good um, thing to look at as we come to the last movement of our conversation is... Um, you know, so I, again, I've been sharing our, your conversation with Lamy with folks at Maple, and um, create a lot of fun conversations. And um, <laughs> one of the one of the things that somebody asked in particular was like, so you kind of um, we can make this distinction perhaps between these AI tools that we've already discussed how they kind of are like eating plastic for our natural intelligence, our cognition in this deeply embedded way, um, and then there's other technology that supports the unfoldment of natural intelligence and our reclamation of our lineage, you might say. Mm-hmm. Um, could you compare these two kinds of technologies? And in particular, like what are, and I know this is sensitive for you because you've already designed a technology that accomplishes this right. called Inquire. But yeah. for those who don't know, it'd be good to, I think, just sketch out the sort right, of design right. principles of technology that offers us a path back to natural intelligence. Yeah. So we've always been using these technologies. Mia. Um, We've always been wielding these technologies with each other um, forever. Um, We, we help each other ground. Uh, We help each other look around. If someone gets trapped or distressed, they're caught up in things, you know, we do this for our friends um, we, we use inquiry. We, uh, so we ask them to look around. That's how you ground. You look around like, well, it could be your sensation. It could be juxtaposition. Well, you know, we help people start to look around and we help them ground with inquiry. Um, so, um, this is what inquires just trying to make more available to people, make it more, um, 
culturally normative, um, make it almost as simple as a board game to, to be able to pick them and deliver them because it can be a, you know, if, if I were to try to take over, the first thing I do, if I was trying to take over society, especially if I mechanize a society is you don't want people to do this because it's disruptive. So it wouldn't be part of the way you culturally talk normally, right? It wouldn't be, it, you would estrange it from the society. Um, because it, it gets some, it breaks up the, the, the machinations, right? It breaks up. It's completely, yeah. yeah, completely. It's completely subversive. Um, I'm actually going to be, this is a whole big one. I'm going to unpack shortly in the Stoa coming up, um, the art of truth where I'll talk about mm. other, um, historic, uh, technologies that have tried, tried this. Um, so that's, that's coming up. People can look for that, the Stoa if they want, cause I'll, I'll go into that in depth. Um, but basically, um, this is just, um, trying to make this uh, facilitate, help people facilitate each other, uh, with, finding, um, you know, having an inventory. Uh, like well, that's what we did is basically collect all those forms over the 13 years and test them and just curate. And that's been like our stock and trade. And by forms, to, you mean, you mean inquiry forms? Like yeah. The inquiry questions. forms that specifically will do this. Not all inquiry does this, but the grounding forms, the forms that will help mm. people ground and lots of inquiry will do the opposite. If you want to capture people's attention and really exploit them, use also use inquiry. So that's really important, mm. which we didn't get into the most powerful way to mind control. If you look at mind control and that's the, maybe the top level cult, right? If you look at the, um, Sarah Lawrence cult on uh, Hulu, Hulu or Netflix. I don't know. Recently, there's a three-part series. Great. I watched that actually on your suggestion. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Really and you can see like it's kind of gives you all the steps. And that person was purely nothing charismatic about him whatsoever. He just knew those specific techniques, which you can go read about of like how you get people to false confess to crimes, crimes they didn't commit. And, you know, more of the dirtiness behind psychotherapy, they never addressed what happened in the 80s, which is the false memory fiasco where therapists mm -hmm. were inadvertently doing this. They have not addressed that therapists don't do this. So people should be wary well, of that's that. Not, that's, I don't think that's entirely true. There's things like clean language questions, right? There's a, there, there oh, is... I'm sorry. I'm ah. saying as a field, uh, the professional licensing of people that are professionally licensed as therapists, oh, very good. nothing yeah. about that field has addressed publicly just like psychiatry is not addressed publicly, it's horrible past, right? Psycho, right. psych, you know, the psychotherapy field has not addressed its ugly past in the eighties of getting people like saying I was molested by my father, which was happening all over the place. Okay. And it was, I was lived through that. Okay. Not really addressing how is it possible we did that? How did we extract those false memories? That's not addressed, you know, openly. If you look at that research it just stops. So there's a lot of, you know, um, techniques out there and they're inquiry based, right? So that's also an inquiry. So that's where it, we realize there's a real um, important um, tacit knowledge base, a thing to study and know. We really focus on and inquire is the principles behind that, so we can help people have access to quality inquiry. That is that will that will versus low quality inquiry. So that's kind of our wheelhouse there. Um, so we just collect based on a bunch of principles, you know, what are the forms that can help people ground and also through all the testing and iterating we've done over the years to confirm that that's happening for people and look for anything that's not working and so on. Yeah. So, yeah. To, right. so that would be like, yeah, that would be the, the, that would be like what we'd want to accelerate to kind of win this race against insanity is to get people quick, easy access to those inventories and also um, uh, to leverage. So people have um, tacit knowledge within their domains of specific inventories, uh, sorry, sequences, processes. So like just to give you a rough idea, there's approximately a thousand-ish roughish forms that you can 
further shape, but it's a finite number, but it's still a large number inside Inquire. So there's ways to work with people to say, to have them kind of construe, this works really good when you're in this context to help people look around. These are probably the things you didn't have a look at that would be helpful. So that's kind of our next big push is to really enable people to help each other and community with each other within their domains and help them match and find each other to try to really make this work easy and fast for people to wake up and ground and see the bullshit, you know, trace things back and get, uh, you know, energized and enlivened towards what matters. Yeah. And so just to be really crystal clear, like you're not, what you're, this is not some, I, I, what I, one thing I love about Inquire is that it's like, it's questions. Yeah. That's it. That's like, it. What, 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 <laughs> That's all you got. <laughs> ask good questions to each other. And I mean, by good, I mean deeply good. Good, like good questions that don't box you in, that don't make you take on ideas that aren't you own. Or aren't, yeah, you know, that cleaning and, was the whole work of stripping out and trying exactly. to make them. That was a lot of engineering and very long. We will spend, I would say each question form and inquire easily has 20 hours behind it of the thousand. I mean, like it's, it was four hours to even come up with the first version, just round one. That was like 2010. And we've been like iterating and iterating and, and we will spend even a day over one word and they still can use, they still can be improved, right? We could, we could keep cleaning and like this, this whole project could continually improve, but it seems, it seems to be working good enough so far that people are, you know, and it's really amazing yeah. actually. And it's, 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 I think a, a testament to the power of language and an indication yeah. of the danger of these large language models, because, you know, my experience with inquire is that these really precisely formulated questions about the kind of categories and objects that are important to me in my life, the, yeah. those properly formulated questions just like catalyze insight responses almost immediately. Yeah. It's not like a yeah. thinky thing. It's a feeling thing. It's like yeah. a kind it's a of seeing. thing in my body. It's a seeing. A recognition. It's a re- yeah. 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 And so it's just. And that's what it should feel like. That's what grounding will feel like. It's an insight process. It's a, right. and it'll feel like going from something very complicated and messy to something very simple and clean because it ultimately exactly. results in quiet mind, right? Exactly. Yes. And that's what has resulted as, you know, and partly Great. it's because of inquire and partly because of its you know, all the different inquiries that I've been on is a quiet mind. It's not by pushing out the thoughts. It's by thoroughly understanding all the things, you know, and then they go away. Yeah. And then they go away. They stop coming as messengers because they're actually there to serve me. They're just, there's confusion going on. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think maybe when you have the quiet mind, um, you can really see the degrees. Like you can kind of see like when you're first waking up in the morning, you're fuzzy or dreamy, like low quality where, where your mind's trying to form and it goes, oh, never mind. Oh, never mind. Uh, uh, and so kind of just like testing and then like, okay, that one grips. Like you can kind of start to see the right functioning of the conceptualization of the world, you know, and the, t- and the attempts and tries and the dissolving. It's like in a much more rapid kind of fluid cycle of like the rising of a, of a start of a languaging or, or conceptualization and it kind of just dissolves because it doesn't match. And that, yes. and that's kind of, so it's like, a, yeah, uh, it's almost like, um, yeah, the, the wave ocean analogy is really fitting that you yeah, have the waves totally. on the surface are like the languaging part. And then you're returning back to the deep sea quiet and that's just happening in real life. Right. That's mm-hmm. not like in a meditative state. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, I'd, what I'd say here at the end of this conversation is that like, um, it's really important for all of us now to really do the work, to understand the danger of these technologies and to, use them wisely, which may mean not using them at all. You know, that's, I think your, your, your argument. Um, and not, not use them where they matter, not use them where they matter. Um, and that, 
Furthermore, there's another opportunity kind of hiding in plain sight, which is that we can turn to each other to support each other in grounding our cognition. Yeah. And this really involves learning how to ask good questions, which is actually lovely. Like yeah, I you don't even have to learn it if you use the tools, right? We can just right. put it in the hands of people and kids can ask the questions and everyone can just do it together, which we've done and it works. And yeah. Yeah, but there's yeah, also so there just giving everybody skill, question forms. They can there's learn. a skill, though, of, of yeah. entering into a relationship and, being, and asking these questions. Like, that's a way to do it. You can use Inquire, and you can also just go to your, you know, to your friends and ask them these good kinds of questions. Yeah, it's cool. it, you know, there's, still that, there's still that thing I, that um, I think part of the reason Inquire, we really want to make it like a board game. You know, we, we mm. really do want to make it like kind of um, a very well-containerized thing that anyone can run and have it be destigmatized in that way. Because, like, take charades. Like, I think charades is a great analogy. It's such a fun game, right? Where you go, everyone goes up and, you know, acts things out in front of each other. You can do it with your friends and family. Mm-hmm. You can't really just do that with people. <laughs> you need it to be like a container. And so for as long as if you do, and this is a lot of the failure of all the nonviolent communication, the authentic relating, all these mm-hmm. different, you know, techniques, a lot of these things um, fail painfully because you have to be very respectful of people do not... Language is like a bird song, right? If you look at what are we doing when we're talking, could, how we relate is a bird song. And there's a lot in that, that we can't just disrupt that. So I think it's important to containerize it for now because you don't want to make people uncomfortable. Um, I'll just, and, I'll just, yeah, I'll, I'll just, yeah. I, I think there's truth to what you're saying. And I think in my experience, there is this kind of beautiful skill that you can learn in relationship of asking questions in a way that does not compromise people's natural intelligence and grounds their cognition. Right. So, so I, I agree. Yeah. Like yeah. good that we have this technology of inquire and yeah. I love, I love the art and, and relationship of doing it in, in real time. with another. Oh yeah. I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm saying I'm adding a caveat that, um, that what we hope to solve to get widespread adoption would be to uh, avoid people feeling pressure to, mm. oh, it's a good thing if I start authentically relating with everybody, or if it's a good thing if I try to say, do you need empathy around this or nonviolent communication forms? Where people are like, you know, you're acting a little bit weird and you're kind of screwing up our trust relationship because I'm just this person in your life and now you're doing this weird thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you really don't want this Very to good. become a new word thing. Right. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. If it comes in organically, that'd be lovely. Like that's what you'd want. You want it to be organically change the culture, mm-hmm. but not feel pressure to push. So that's what we're trying to say, create safe guardrails around that. So we don't disrupt the. Yeah. So I, just I have one more question, which is a kind of a big one. So um, in your conversation with Layman, you referred to these LLMs as performing a kind of magic trick that yeah. looks like intelligence, but isn't, right? And, and we talked about this a little bit earlier in the conversation where it yeah. kind of fools our sense of like, oh, this is alive or something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, this person says, you know, the case is that we people are going to fail for these illusions, like en masse. People yeah. are going to um, be enchanted by them. Mm-hmm. And they are going to consequently kind of create a sort of super cult dynamic that probably prioritizes a kind of militarized global economic growth over the sustainability of life. Like that seems... What's already happening. Yeah. Right. But there's maybe an intensification of that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, this person asks, if we're unable to achieve a broad acceptance of resources like Inquire or a critical mass of a civilizational movement towards valuing natural intelligence, how ought we respond to the unchecked acceleration of planetary destruction? Or do you see that as the only way? Oh, what, what was the only way to resist? Um, to to uh, uh, try to create a civilizational movement towards value, natural intelligence, mass adoption of inquire, that kind of thing. Like what would be the alternative to that? 
So um, Inquire is only one of class of many natural intelligences. Like we said, that we're we're doing cool. one little we'll job. Yeah, we're just doing one tiny little job. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah, we're we're only doing the job. Like we would want everybody to have access to understand. We'd want the whole world educated on how their cognition works. This idea of ungrounded, grounded, how inquiry works. Ideally, um, the core of inquires in the public domain and the patent system for right now. So we have our little bit of time to hopefully be successful and own that IP before we can educate the world. Um, you know, you'd want to like kind of get ahead of it. Like ideally, everyone would be educated. They just know how their mind works and they have a place and how that works. Um, and so that's just that little piece. Now, then there's the whole task of, oh my God, what are we going to do with the planet? And there are, and and this is my broad appeal I said with layman is like, right now, there's another vulnerability that people are falling into with this AI, which is to believe a super intelligence can solve problems that we can't. And that there is a lot of work to do um, to uh, take that vision, that hope of like, you know, it's billions of dollars going into this, right? Put it into systems that operate in a consistent way with our natural intelligence. So those original principles are like, don't break context. So um, be able to ground. So a beautiful example of a naturally intelligent technology that works with us is every GIS, including the weather model, including Earth systems. In fact, 15 years ago, a friend of mine said, or maybe 10 years ago, do you think there's any threat to AI, to, you know, existential threat to AI? I said, absolutely not. AI is going to save the world. That's what was my stance. We argued about it. I'm like, AI is going to save the world. Because I thought everyone would understand that, an, that those are the artificial intelligences. They're the um, sensor mm. network where we can track and organize the logistics and, and make sure how are we harming the planet? How are we harming each other? Where are resources? If we can... In, if we can communicate in a naturally intelligent way as a web of humanity grounded into a knowledge of what the planet is and doing and needing, then that's how we coordinate. Oh my God, there's hungry people over here. Or, mm. oh, there's a, a bumper crop of stuff over here. We can distribute that. We can naturally intelligently work with this global model to know exactly how that should work. We can write algorithms against it. We don't yeah, bumper crops that end up in ditches where people are starving. That doesn't happen. We don't do monocultures. We're much smarter than that because we are grounded into the planet and how the planet operates. And and that can be coordinated across us. That is like our bright future is to invest right. in those technologies. And if we had the will, we could do it right now. If That's the big education campaign is that stop it with the fantasy that you need a super brain. That's not what we need. We need sensors and a network and humans are sensors and animals are sensors and other sensors, weather system sensors and soil acidity sensors and all over the place coordinated so that we can work with fluidly what's going on on the planet. Yeah. Just like we work fluidly with what's going on in the atmosphere, we can be doing that with all of our resources and all of our intelligence and, and understand that the nervous system pain of going on of all those sensors and responding to it, the meaningfulness of those sensors, what understand what people are going through, feel it, see it, respond to it in a smart way. That's what I thought the vision was. Of course, AI is going to save the world. That version. That's not Inquire. That's a whole other thing, right? And we can learn from the people doing GIS and, and Earth systems and that kind of thing. We can just keep imagining to those models how successful and wonderful they are, how far we get with science with them. You know that we 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 know we don't know. We understand where we need more more information. We understand how to coarse grain. We can be intelligent about this. We can plug into it, and then we just need you know like the great works of like it's time. We need to to build that. So I would like to be appealing. I think the most powerful thing right now is like 
appeal to your investor networks, appeal to people who have resources, like just somehow somehow try to educate those with resources. This is not the only way. You can be building different architectures that can do really super, super intelligent things that are not based on this digesting the, the sparse, weird, you know, history of utterances on the internet into a simulator. Do much, 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 much better than that. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's incredible to me that we're so far off center that it seems to us now more plausible to try to build a kind of synthetic intelligence out of the collected utterances of our civilization <laughs> than it is to like turn towards each other and ask good questions and like build sensor networks that actually reveal what's going on. Yeah. And, 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 and that like, that seems, I think to most people that probably seems implausible. And I think we that already is, did it though. We did it with the weather forecast. I know, but it's just, it's just an indication to me of like how insane we are. That I know, that is, right? It's just crazy. It should not be hard to be able to track who's producing what food and where and yeah. who's, and who's hungry and who needs, you know, who's getting educated and who's not and who's, what's your expertise and where are you needed? God, wouldn't that be lovely if you could just plug in and be like, here's the life I lived. Where am I needed? And here's exactly where you're needed. That's what, you know, you would want as a decision support, right? As, as a way to, to find our way back home.